Welcome to the Seven Potters Book Club. I'm your host, Caitlin, a lifelong fan of the enchanting world created by J.K. Rowling. Each week, we'll gather in our virtual common room to deep dive into the wizarding world one chapter at a time. Through lively discussions, insightful analyses, and a sprinkle of mischief, we'll explore the characters, themes, and hidden secrets within the pages of Harry Potter. This podcast is like a cozy book club, so grab your favorite butterbeer, find a comfortable spot, and get ready to experience the wizarding world like never before. This is the Seven Potters Book Club. Hey everyone, welcome back to our cozy virtual common room for another episode of the Seven Potters Book Club, the podcast that explores the enchanting world of Harry Potter. I'm your host, Caitlin, and today we're diving into Chapter 2 of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, The Vanishing Glass. All right, so let's just dive right into the chapter summary so we remember what we just read. (laughs) So 10 years, and Harry living at number 4 Privet Drive, enduring a less-than-ideal existence with the Dursley family. Harry's mistreated and forced to sleep in a cupboard under the stairs. He has no knowledge of his life with his parents, and he suffers from the bullying of his cousin Dudley. But Dudley's 11th birthday brings about an unexpected turn of events. Harry was meant to stay at their neighbor's house while the Dursleys took Dudley and a friend, Pierce Polkis, to the zoo. However, due to unforeseen circumstances, Harry is reluctantly dragged along. At the zoo, something extraordinary happens. Harry discovers that he can talk to snakes and unintentionally causes the glass of the reptile enclosure to vanish, allowing the snake to escape. Unfortunately, Dudley and Pierce witness Harry's interaction with the snake, leading to trouble for Harry when he returns home. Harry is punished severely by the Dursleys, facing shouts and confinement in the cupboard and being deprived of dinner that evening. Okay, so taking a closer look at the characters that appear and are mentioned in this chapter, of course, we have our beloved protagonist, Harry Potter, who is just beginning to unravel the mysteries of his own past. We have Petunia and Vernon Dursley, who play significant roles as his aunt and uncle, treating him with disdain and hostility. Like, come on, Dursleys. Like, they've punished Harry by locking him in his cupboard in the dark more than one time. I mean, just in this chapter alone, we talk about three different instances for the hair thickening incident, the top of the school roof incident, and the boa constrictor just now. And the way they treat him is, at best, neglect. <laughs> They almost never call him by his name. Have you noticed that? And they talk about him all the time as though he weren't even a person with feelings. I mean, they say random things about him as though he wasn't even there. Uh, Dudley Dursley is Harry's spoiled and bullying cousin. And we learn that one form of exercise for Dudley is that he likes to punch people. Something that will help him defeat his weight problem later on. That will also go on uh, throughout the series. So additionally, in this chapter, we meet Pierce Polkis, who is Dudley's friend. We learn that Pierce is an enabler who holds on to kids so that Dudley can punch them. Pierce attends the zoo with the family and witnesses Harry's interaction with the snake. We also get our first mention of Marge, who, quote, hates the boy. According to Prisoner of Azkaban, Marge came for a visit for Dudley's birthday the year before Harry starts at Hogwarts. And... So this is the year that Harry is starting at Hogwarts, so that means that last year is the year they're talking about. And Ripper, who's her dog, chased Harry up a tree. 
And since a present from Aunt Marge is specially mentioned among those on the table at breakfast, she must have sent it rather than bringing it personally. And lastly, we can't forget to mention Mrs. Fig, Harry's neighbor, who has a surprising secret of her own, which we'll dive into in a little bit. These characters, with their unique personalities and actions, shape the whole narrative and contribute to Harry's growth. So this chapter introduces us to Harry's first hints of his unique abilities as a parcel mouth. We learn that he can talk to snakes, and that in itself should be considered magical, but Harry just kind of thinks, oh, yeah, I can talk to snakes. No big deal. Just kind of blows my mind. It's, if I could talk to snakes and snakes could talk to me, I'd probably be telling everybody and be freaking out internally and externally, like, oh my god, the snake can hear me. Oh my god, the snake can hear me. <laughs> but diving into the key themes of this chapter, we have friendship and loneliness, family dynamics, and the start of identity and self-discovery. So these are the bigger overall themes in the book series, but we start seeing them in this chapter. First, we have friendship and loneliness. So Harry's isolation is extremely obvious, and he yearns for companionship. Harry has, quote, no proper family, as he himself puts it later on in this chapter. He has no friends because no one cares enough about him to brave Dudley's gang. He's had to deal with his own problems all his life because he had no one else he could trust. There's a quote in chapter two that says, Harry dreamed and dreamed of an unknown relation coming to take him away, but it hadn't happened. The Dursley were his only family. And this kills me inside because... Unfortunately, in Azkaban, there's Sirius Black, and Sirius wants nothing more than to love Harry and to give him the family that he so desperately deserves to have. And they'd be a great family. <laughs> Not even joking. We can dive into that later, but they'd be an amazing family. Speaking of, another crucial theme in this chapter is family dynamics. The contrasting treatment of Harry by the Dursleys, it's highlighting how complex family relationships are. There's a drastic difference between how Harry is treated like a house elf, <laughs> I would I would probably say. I mean, yeah, kind of crappy, very crappy, and spoiled, rotten Dudley. Drastic difference, right? But why is this difference so drastic? In an interview, J.K. Rowling has mentioned that Vernon didn't like James because of a meeting that they had where he felt very small. He was made to feel very small by James. And with Harry looking so much like someone that he really dislikes, his dad, um, it's a constant reminder. He's constantly seeing this. He's constantly feeling small. He's constantly reminded of that one time that he met someone that he didn't like. Which, I mean, I guess Vernon probably meets people he doesn't like all the time. <laughs> but he lives with one now. For Petunia, I think that she's constantly reminded of her sister, Lily, and probably regrets things that have happened in her past and why there's such a great distance between the two of them. And it just reminds her that she's alone. I mean, family is a really big thing in this book, and... Her parents are no longer with them. Otherwise, I'm pretty sure Harry would have gone to his grandparents. And Lily is gone. So Petunia is all alone. And all she has is Mr. Dursley and Dudley. And she's going to hold on to them as tight as she can and make sure that they don't leave her. But 
Also, what if Petunia thinks that Harry's the reason she no longer has a sister? I mean, besides the fact that he's a reminder of what James looks like and that James kind of took Lily from Petunia in a sense. I mean, a lot of sisters probably feel like their brother-in-law took their sister from them. But also the fact that he who must not be named <laughs> was after Harry and Lily died trying to save Harry. I mean, she even mentions in this book, what, and come back to find the house in ruins? And Harry goes, I won't blow up the house. So it's just a reminder that she thinks of Harry as the reason that the house was blown up and the reason that she doesn't have her sister with her anymore. Just think about it for a second. That would be really hard to live with every single day. But through all of this, even though Harry is having such a tough childhood, he's so thankful and he finds humor and joy in the little things. I mean, when they talked about Pierce and Dudley having the chocolate ice creams and Harry was able to get a lemon ice pop, he said it wasn't bad. It's so, it's like, this is the best day of his life. He gets to go to the zoo. I mean, listen to the number of kids nowadays who'd probably say the zoo is stupid and boring. Like, he's so grateful to just not be stuck at home or with Mrs. Fig and being able to get a treat like a lemon ice pop. He's just, oh, Harry, I just want to pinch his cheeks. <laughs> and the last theme we'll discuss is identity and self-discovery. This is an ongoing theme that we are going to dive into a lot deeper when Harry gets to Hogwarts. But in this chapter, Harry starts to realize his magical talents and encounters with strange individuals who recognize him because of his scar, and he begins to question who he truly is. So this is the start, the very, very beginning, the inkling, the little, the little like, sprinkle of pixie dust, if you will. It's not the same kind of thing, but <laughs> a little sprinkle of pixie dust that starts to open his eyes to his self-discovery. I mean, in this chapter, Harry does wandless magic, and he's not going to learn how to control that at Hogwarts until his sixth year. This magic is coming from his strong emotion, and it's unfocused and random. So doing nonverbal spellcasting, that's amazing. So there's a quote from this chapter that comes to mind when I think of Harry. And that's when he's thinking about all the things that he's done that he can't explain how it happened. He mentions one time running away from Dudley and his gang. And when he was trying to jump behind the trash cans outside the kitchen door, he ended up on the roof. <laughs> quote, Harry supposed that the wind must have caught him mid-jump. It's funny to look at how Harry is trying to rationalize what's happening to him with his muggle knowledge. But... It reiterates that Harry can't identify magic when he sees it, even when it's his own magic. Mm, releasing a boa constrictor, jumping on the roof, like, you, these aren't things that happen to normal people. No, Harry, <laughs> the wind doesn't just pick you up and put you on the roof. No wonder you weren't put into Ravenclaw. <laughs> All right, let's get into our deep dives. I love diving into things a little bit deeper than just the surface level. So... With a little bit of research, we find that the zoo that they visited wasn't in London because it's stated later in this book that Harry has never been to London before. So the zoo is most likely the Chessington World of Adventure theme park in Surrey, which is home to a bunch of gorillas and also has a reptile house. But the Chessington theme park is a theme park, so it's kind of odd that it wasn't mentioned and... If Dudley and Pierce were bored after a morning of just looking at the animals, I'm surprised that his parents didn't take him on the rides instead. 
There are other zoos in the Surrey area, but none of them have both a reptile house and gorillas. So by deduction, it must be the Chessington theme park. So diving in as well, I'm from America, so I didn't know anything about Knickerbocker glories. Um, I've heard of Knickerbocker, I've heard of Knickers, but what the heck was a Knickerbocker glory and why are they eating it and why does it sound delicious? I did a little bit of research and found that the Knickerbocker glories, it's an elaborate ice cream sundae combined with fresh strawberries, marshmallows, scoops of vanilla ice cream, and anything extra anyone fancies served in a tall conical glass. And looking at pictures of it, which I will post to the Instagram page, they look like something that would come out of an old fashioned like sugar bowl or like ice cream parlor. They're beautiful. And honestly, I kind of want one. (laughs) So I found on the Great British Food Awards recipe website, a recipe for it. And it seems pretty easy to make. It's six strawberries, um, two tablespoons of strawberry coulis or sauce, six scoops of vanilla ice cream, a lot of ice cream for Dudley, I think. Uh, six marshma- marshmallows, rose flavored if you can find them, and two fan wafers. And yeah, these look amazing, like a perfect extra treat. It, I wouldn't probably have this for dessert all the time, but as a special treat, it looks amazing. Oh, that makes sense. The six scoops of vanilla makes two two conical glasses. So that makes more sense. <laughs> Okay. And I had to do another deep dive after hearing another podcast talk about how snakes don't have eyelids. So in the book, it says that the snake opened their eyes, which would lean to the fact that the snake's eyes were closed. But snakes lack muscles and the skin folds in their eyes for eyelids. Instead, they adapted a new way to keep their eyes safe. And they have what's known as a brill or a brilli. I don't know if you're a snake expert, please let me know how to say that. They're also known as other names too, such as an ocular scale, an eye cap, or a spectacle. But a brill is a transparent layer that fits over the eye and it's it's physically attached so it doesn't move around, which means that the snake's eyes are always closed or always open depending on how you're looking at it. But this provides an around-the-clock protection without sacrificing eyesight. So they're always able to see without getting stuff in there. I would want one of those. Where can I buy one? (laughs) But what's really cool about a brill is that it can also heal itself. So occasionally, if a snake's slithering around in the ground in the dirt, dirt's going to get up there or a stick or something will scratch the brill. Over time, the brill will just heal on its own. The scratch will fade. And it's because similar to other body parts like skin, the brill's connected to the snake's blood flow, so it will adjust and heal itself. It's just so cool. It's like specialty glasses that will fix themselves. Ooh, maybe that's why there's like Harry's glasses. Oh my gosh. Making connections that are probably not even connections to JK Rowling. <laughs> okay. Diving into probably one of my favorite segments, which is the world of fan theories and speculations. Okay. So one theory that has my mind blown is J.K. Rowling has specifically said that the snake released in this chapter 
is none other than Nagini, Voldemort's snake that we see throughout the rest of the chapters with Voldemort. I don't know if I fully believe this, but I guess it's always a possibility. What do you think? Let me know. Do you think that this snake is Nagini? When I think about it, the snake says, Brazil, here I come. Thanks, amigo. Like It's one of my favorite quotes. I love saying it because it's just funny. A snake talking, but uh, the snake says that it's going to Brazil and Brazil is in South America. So beside the fact that the snake will either have to figure out a way to get on a plane or a boat or something to cross the water. Albania, which is probably where the snake meets Voldemort, is eastern, and Brazil is southwest from England. So, thinking about this logistically, if the snake somehow got lost, it could end up in Albania, but that's a really big detour from Brazil, where it says it wants to be going. <laughs> so, again, I don't know. I don't think that the snake could be Nagini. It doesn't really make much sense. Plus, it would cause Harry to have caused his own undoing. So what do you think? Do you think the snake that is released in this chapter is Nagini? Let us know in social media or here um, as a comment on your favorite podcasting station. In addition, you might have noticed that there's traces of magic surrounding Harry, even in this seemingly ordinary chapter. I mean, we learn about Harry's neighbor, Mrs. Fig, and in later stories, we find out that she's a squib, which is a non-magical person born into a magical family. But there's specific descriptions that tell you all along that she's been magic, including the fact that her her whole house smells like cabbage. So interestingly enough, some potions are described to have the smell of cabbage particularly polyjuice potion. Until it has a little bit of the person that you want to transform into, it smells of cabbage. Like the boiling, bubbling, grossness smelling of cabbage. (laughs) But also in the Goblet of Fire, Harry camped in a tent, which was loaned to the Weasleys by another wizard named Perkins. Um, And to Harry, the tent smelled like Mrs. Fig's house. When you think about it, I'm curious personally, if the smell of cabbage is something that just wizards can smell, is that just a magical scent and other wizards can pick up magical scents? If the Dursleys went into Mrs. Fig's house, would they be able to smell cabbage? Or would it just smell like nothing to them because they can't sense magic? What do you think? On top of this, we know that she's a magical person because of her cats. Uh, Tibbles, Snowy, Mr. Paws, and Tufty are her four cats. And as it turns out, she, in this chapter, uh, broke her leg tripping over one of these cats. But it is more than possible that these four cats aren't actually cats. That they're magical creatures known as Neasles. And they're around to keep an eye on the Dursley's house. They're just little protectors watching the whole neighborhood. I mean, we learn that in the Order of the Phoenix, Mr. Tibbles was actually actively set to go watch Harry. That's not something that an ordinary cat could do. So I definitely think that this one's true. I think that Tibbles, Snowy, Mr. Paws, and Tufty, or at least Mr. Tibbles, if not all of them, (laughs) 
are measles that are in disguise as neighborhood cats. So let me know what you think. Is it obvious that Mrs. Fig is magical? <laughs> so questions that have popped up for this chapter is that humor plays an essential role in lightening the mood throughout the Harry Potter series. How does J.K. Rowling incorporate humor into this chapter? And what effect does it have on the reader? Thinking deeper into this question, yes, there's humor throughout the entire book, the entire series. Like we try to lighten the mood. It's overall a kid's book. And even though we're discussing themes that are really dark and scary and uncomfortable for a lot of people, we can make those things more comfortable through humor. And I think that's why lightening the mood through humor is such a big theme that happens in this series. I mean, in just this chapter, we read about uh, the quote that says, Aunt Petunia often says that Dudley looked like a baby angel. Harry often said that Dudley looked like a pig in a wig. <laughs> like, I mean, you have to think that Dudley is Harry's biggest bully. He isolates him not only at home, but at school as well. Harry's completely alone. And Dudley just makes it worse. So of course he's going to say that Dudley looked ugly. In addition, he's also pointed out to the fact that Dudley's stupid. I mean, he said, Dudley thought for a moment. It looked like hard work. <laughs> so he's taunting his bully, even if it's in his own mind. So I think that aspect of bullying being a very difficult topic, being lightened through incorporating humor, and to me, it makes it a little bit easier to understand. And while we are learning that it's not right, it's not good the way that Dudley is treating him, it's easier to digest what is happening. So overall, a reading about a boy who's being neglected and, for the lack of a better word, crapped on his whole life. Like, he looks like a pig in a wig and he's dumb. <laughs> that makes it a little easier for me. So that was our only question that we had for this chapter. But if you have any questions, please send them to us. We'd love to hear back from you. You can reach out to us through email, socials, or you can even submit a howler on our Spotify page. All of our details for that can be found at sevenpotters.phoenixcharms.com. All right, so that wraps up our discussion of Chapter 2, The Vanishing Glass of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. In this chapter, we witnessed Harry's difficult life with the Dursleys and his unexpected encounter with a snake at the zoo. We explored the key characters that shaped the narrative, including the Dursleys, Dudley, Pierce Polkis, and Mrs. Fig, and the ever-growing themes of friendship, loneliness, family dynamics, and identity, setting the stage for Harry's journey of self-discovery. We delved into intriguing details such as those for the Knickerbocker Glory dessert and the anatomical characteristics of snake eyelids, and also touched on theories and speculations, including the possibility that the snake Harry released is actually Nagini, and the magical aura that surrounds Harry and Mrs. Fig connecting to the magical world. Humor definitely played a significant role in this chapter, providing moments of levity amidst the darker elements of the story that J.K. Rowling cleverly uses humor to engage her readers and adds depth to the narrative. If you have any questions or thoughts about this chapter or any aspect of Harry Potter, please reach out to us through email, social media, or through a howler on our Spotify page. And that concludes another magical episode of the Seven Potters Book Club. Can you believe it? We hope you enjoyed delving into the enchanting world of Harry Potter with us today. Remember that the magic doesn't have to end here. 
Keep reading, keep exploring, and keep the spirit of Harry Potter alive. We want to express our deepest gratitude to all of our listeners who have enjoyed us on this journey. Your support means the world to us. And a special thank you to J.K. Rowling for creating this extraordinary universe that continues to captivate fans of all ages. If you'd like to stay connected and continue discussing Harry Potter with fellow fans, be sure to follow us on social media or join our Discord community. You can find us on the web at sevenpotters.phoenixcharms.com or on Instagram and Facebook at Seven Potters Book Club. We can't wait to hear your thoughts, theories, and favorite moments. So don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode filled with magic, friendship, and literary adventures. Thank you for listening to the Seven Potters Book Club. Until next time, stay curious, stay enchanted, and bring the magic home.